The biggest domestic story, I suppose, has been generated by my next guest, who's joining me out of the gate today. The governor of the wonderful state of Florida, Ron DeSantis, joins me. Governor, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm great. So I really, really actually want to talk about Florida, your reelection and the future of the state. But I, I got to ask you out of the gate, uh, if you would uh, just kind of explain the rationale for moving the illegal aliens to Martha's Vineyard. And I want to give you a chance to kind of address that, that I think nonsensical story that none of these people knew where they were going. Well, yeah, on the second part, so this is done uh, with a vendor that the state of Florida has contracted with, and the vendor got written consent forms from everybody that was transported, uh, also provided a packet that had a map of Martha's Vineyard, numbers on the vineyard for social services, as well as for the state of Massachusetts. So there was no doubt that that's where they were going. And in fact, uh, when they were getting ready to do the transport, there were some of the migrants who said, you know what, you know, we don't want to go to Massachusetts. And so they did ended up not going. So it was purely voluntary. And it was that. And here's the thing. The policy that we have is simply, uh, I would like to see President Trump's border policies reinstituted. I mean, most of the people coming across the border illegally uh, are making bo- effectively bogus asylum claims. So if they're making asylum claims that we know 95 plus percent are not going to be valid or 90 percent, they should wait in Mexico, let that claim be adjudicated. If they have a valid claim, then obviously, you know, they're entitled. Uh, to, to, to use that law to come in. Uh, but instead, what Joe Biden's done is he's basically opened the border. You have people pouring in. Uh, 40% of the folks, because I've had people on the southern border help in Texas last year, and then in our conversations, you know, between 30 and 40% have said Florida is one of their preferred destinations. And so we obviously uh, are not a sanctuary state. We just can't absorb. It's not the way you do policy to just have floods of people uh, coming in. And so what Biden... So our view is, is, you know, we want to divert to sanctuary states who have said that's their policy. So that's why we got the $12 million in the budget. You know, we've also things done things uh, that haven't gotten as much press, like we've had interdictions in the panhandle. We've seized narcotics. We've been able to bring some of the, uh, coy- I guess they're coyotes or smugglers uh, mm-hmm. up on charges. But that's kind of a onesie-twosie thing. If you're able to get into a sanctuary jurisdiction, the hope is, is that they would stick uh, because they'd be able to have benefits and, and, and whatnot. But also, I do believe that the people that proclaim to be sanctuary jurisdictions are the ones advocating for this open border policy, and yet a lot of them seem to not want to have to deal with any of the consequences of their own policies. And I think what happened in Martha's Vineyard is an example of that. I mean, they, they had proclaimed to be a sanctuary uh, area. They had said that they wanted to be a hub. I think Ted Cruz uh, last year had said that they should be the place and these politicians saying, yeah, we want to be the place for that. Okay. So then when you have just 50 of them, not only did they not be, be, did not act as a sanctuary, they called in the national guard and they deported them off the Island the next day. (laughs) So it just shows they want to impose burdens on the rest of the country, but they don't want to do it. So ideally you wouldn't have buses going from El Paso to New York like you have. You wouldn't have Greg uh, Abbott doing buses or Florida doing any of this stuff. You would just recognize that the policy of Biden has failed, change it, and then a lot of these problems would go away. You said something this weekend that, I mean, it kind of struck me to the core because I had forgotten about it myself, but 53 illegal aliens died in a tractor trailer in Texas. The federal government changed not a single policy 
you send 50 to Martha's Vineyard and the president scrambles the entire administration to take action. That that really was a striking contrast. And here's the thing, Eric, the folks that went to Martha's Vineyard, you know, Biden is having these people go in. The federal government just basically, yes, I know they do fly some people around, but mostly people, they just abandoned. So these people were basically homeless. I mean, they, they had nowhere where really to integrate to. And so this was a huge uh, benefit for them. They've actually, some of those uh, folks have written into the vendor, thanking the vendor for being able to effectuate their transport. So they went, uh, clearly it was better beneficial for them uh, to be able to do it. Now, obviously, Martha's Vineyard didn't want anything to do with it, and so they, they deported them. But, but the reality is, when you hear some of the people acting like it's inhumane to transfer to a sanctuary jurisdiction, that doesn't make any sense, because the, the, uh, they're in destitution, basically, because of the federal government's really reckless policies. And so, um, at the end of the day, Martha's Vineyard didn't want to put their money where their mouth is. I, I, I understand that. I mean, I think that they're I think they're willing to virtue signal if it's uh, just self-congratulatory type stuff, but they really didn't want to follow through with it. But it has raised the issue now uh, of this border because the corporate press doesn't want to talk about any of the things that a lot of conservatives have been uh, have been concerned with a long time. And yes, the fentanyl has affected Florida. We've had criminal aliens commit serious crimes uh, against Floridians. And then we do have just kind of the migrants who a lot of them, you know, they are not necessarily committing crimes. They just, they're economic migrants. But that, that causes stress on communities, as we saw. Even the wealth, one of the wealthiest in the country said they didn't have the resources to take care of right. 50. How do these border towns do? So all of those are important. But I also just think as an American people look and say, okay, do you have control over your border and your territory or not? And it makes us look like a third world country when you see all these images coming in of just chaos day after day after day. Well, now people are talking about it, and I think people are going to have to defend uh, who, who, are, who are for Biden's policy. They're going to have to defend it. And, you know, it's pretty much indefensible. It is. Now, okay, we, we've gotten that out of the way. I actually really want to focus on Florida because so many, we're not even to the midterms yet, and so many people want to talk about 2024. I'd actually, I'm curious about your reelection in Florida. My dad is a first-generation American born and raised in Coral Gables. I took him to his high school reunion, 50th high school reunion, a couple of years ago, and he wanted to go show me where they used to go on mission trips down to this Indian reservation. It was now an Aston Martin dealership. It, the whole place has exploded down there. He couldn't believe it. The economic growth in Florida has been astonishing, particularly during COVID compared to other states. What does a second-term Ron DeSantis administration look like for Florida? Well, I think you will continue to see a, um, a continuation of, of, of income and wealth moving into Florida. And to be honest with you, Eric, these other governor's races will have something to say about that. I mean, for example, in your state, I think Brian Kemp's going to win that race. I think he's done a good job. But if, if Stacey Abrams were to win, that would spark refugees out of Georgia to Florida. There's no question about it. Some of these other states where if they don't get a good governor, that could definitely cause people to make those decisions. And I think what happened since COVID was uh, we were standing out as kind of a, a place, a refuge of sanity. The world had gone totally mad. A lot of those blue states had had a lot of bad policy anyways with taxes or whatnot. But then when you added COVID lockdowns and the irrationality of their COVID policies to then crime 
and some of the stuff with the schools and the indoctrination. It really created a perfect storm. So people have said, I'm voting with our feet. So I think you're going to continue to see it. Now, there's, there's benefits that come with that. I mean, for example, our budget last year ended at $102 billion, and we had a $22 billion surplus. That's by far the most in the history of the state of Florida. So you have benefits. You also have challenges uh, because as more people come, and it's not just people moving. Uh, our visitation was off the charts in 2021. We had almost 45% of all international visitors to the U.S., were to the state of Florida. And so we've really been the destination for a lot of people now. Uh, So that means you have challenges with things like infrastructure. Uh, It does mean that the state, although we're well positioned, I'm very mindful of some of the national economic turmoil that we've experienced on the inflation front. but, But I think there's a lot more turmoil to come with Biden's policies. And so we're looking at this budget surplus of $22 billion to say, okay, we got to return some to the taxpayers. So we're going to do the biggest tax relief that we've ever done. I've already announced uh, slashing tolls for all commuters by 50% across the state, which people will love that. And that'll save, that'll save some people, you know, a thousand or 1500 a year, depending on how much they're commuting and how many tolls we're going to roll out tomorrow. So stay tuned, a whole host of really family friendly Uh, tax relief. So for example, one of the things we did this year, we did a holiday for all baby items like diapers and wipes and all these other things. And my wife, you know, we have a five, a four and a two year old. And she's like, why did it take you to your fourth year as governor before you did the baby (laughs) stuff? We don't, our two oldest have long been out of diapers and our two year old is pretty good now too. But, but I think from a family, so we're going to do a lot of things to make a lot of that stuff permanent uh, for families. Cause we really, the, the migration that we've seen, we've always had retirees, but it has been a lot a lot of families have come because they're they're interested in that. So we're going to do do big tax relief, but what we're also going to do, and we'll be rolling this out in the next couple of weeks, we're going to do an infrastructure moonshot to try to get ahead of a lot of the growth that we're seeing. Uh, we always have a really robust transportation infrastructure budget. This year was the biggest ever. We're known of having a good uh, uh, F dot. Our, our agency is 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 heralded around the country as being efficient. At the same time, you know, there's areas around the state. Uh, that are getting congested. And so we're going to put kind of some rounds on the target, so to speak, to say, hey, let's accelerate. Instead of taking 20 years to do, let's put some money in right now and accelerate. So I think that that'll be exciting for people because those are some of those projects will break ground uh, within maybe a year or 18 months from now and be able to be completed way, way in advance of if we just kind of let this stuff go on autopilot. You know, we were down there a couple of weeks ago. My daughter wants to be a rocket engineer. She wanted to go to NASA for her birthday. What re- thing that really struck me, I mean, I go to Florida all the time. It was the first time I noticed it, is the rest stops along the way. They're the counters so the 18-wheelers know how many spaces are available they can pull in and not have to park on the side of the road like they do in so many states. I was actually really impressed with that project that's been implemented in, in the state over the years. I'd never seen anything like it and sure was handy that we weren't having to dodge 18 wheelers trying to pull off the side of the road to meet their hours at night. They had a place to pull in. Um, yeah, speaking, no, of, for sure. speaking of infrastructure down there, you've got this explosive growth and I'm always struck by progressive friends of mine who some of them don't even particularly care for you, but they always remark that you've done a really good job as governor balancing Uh, the explosion of growth, but also the environmental concerns and the diverse ecology in Florida. How do you as a Republican, when when Democrats go all in on climate change and stuff, how do you look at it as, as public policy to balance the environment and the economy? 
Well, I think what I'm doing is reaching back to the historical roots of the Republican Party with people like Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, they were conservationists that wanted to leave what we were given uh, from God better than we found it. But part of the reason we wanted to do that is because we want to enjoy the, the beautiful natural environment. We want to be able to pass that on to our kids and grandkids to be able to enjoy. I think what the left is doing, they get off on the global warming stuff, and they basically want to use that as a pretext to do policies they would want to impose on society anyways. Uh, so I'm not doing any of that. What I'm doing is focusing on things that actually impact people's lives. And when I became governor, I had kind of, you know, the sugar industry opposed me. A lot of policy in Florida had been more geared toward kind of helping that industry uh, to the exclusion of some of the other things. So there was a lot of communities that had been very frustrated with that. So I said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to move forward. I'm going to get it done. We're going to be in a good spot. So I came into office. We did a big executive order, reoriented policy. We also eventually passed a bill for uh, for water quality that went through the legislature. Uh, but I said, I am going to put real money on to get the infrastructure in place that you need to. So for example, Lake Okeechobee, when that would rise, it's controlled by the Army Corps of Engineers, they would spew the water out into the, the estuaries that would go out to the West Coast and East Coast of Florida. The problem is, you know, there's a lot of runoff that goes into Lake Okeechobee. There's a lot of nutrients. So it ends up sparking things like algae blooms. Well, that's not good. So what we've done is we've accelerated a lot of the water infrastructure. We now have a reservoir that's complete on the east side of Lake Okeechobee. We're going to have one complete on the west side. And then we've done a lot to accelerate this reservoir south of Lake Okeechobee. We've also made infrastructure improvements to, say, like raise some of the, the bridges so that so more water can go, raising roads. So you now have the way God intended the Florida Everglades was that water would flow uh, down through the Everglades into Florida Bay, but that has kind of been choked off over the years for different reasons. We're now restoring that flow uh, down to Florida Bay. And so the water in Florida Bay uh, is much better than when I became governor. We've had fewer algae blooms than I think probably in any four-year period in, in modern modern uh, Florida. But a lot of it is just making sure you have the infrastructure in place to clean water and to be able to put it where it needs to go and not have dirty water going where we don't want it to go. Governor, last question for you. Um, you. You got an open mic here, and I know a lot of people in Georgia are listening on, on my flagship station. How would you explain to Republicans who continually punt on the issue of giving kids access to better school choice opportunities? How would you ex explain to them that in looking at Florida, this is school reform is probably a good idea for other Republicans to embrace? So here's what I can tell you. We, we just ranked number one by Heritage Foundation for uh, Education Freedom. We've always been ranked number one for education choice. Arizona has now give, gave us a run for the money, but we're clearly one of the tops. When I was growing up in Florida, we were not near the top of performance, uh, and I went to Florida schools. Well, now Education Week ranks us number three for K-12 achievement. The most recent NAEP prior to 2020, we don't have the state-by-state state for this year yet, Florida was number one in fourth grade reading and math if you adjust for demographics, and that was done by the left-leaning Urban Institute. So I think what's happened is... We have about 235,000 kids on private scholarship, mostly low income, but not all. Uh, we have about 363,000 on charter schools, which are public schools, but they're not run by the school district necessarily and are really insulated from influence by the teachers unions. And then we have, of course, 67 school districts. But because we've done private choice and charters, 
the school districts are now offering more choice. So total in Florida, 1.3 million students are in some type of choice program, either within the school district, private scholarship, or charter schools. Now, the way I approach it is I say all of this stuff matters. Our homeschool parents matter. Our school districts matter. Private um, charter matters. I think some people who are in the school choice movement, because, you know, this is was birthed in like some of these urban areas where these school districts were just total disasters, that they're like, you know, we hate public schools. We've got to go to this. And then that's not the position I've taken. I, I came from public schools. So I want to have good school districts. I think when parents are empowered and they have choices, they can get their kids in the best school uh, uh, for them. But I also think it creates a healthy competition. And so what I've done is I've recognized in Georgia is the same way. You know, a lot of the rural counties or exurban counties, they're happy with their, with their uh, school districts. A lot of them are happy with the schools. There may not be as much demand there. So what we're doing is while we're doing school choice and doing a big expansion of private scholarships, I've also done more to raise public school teacher salaries than any governor in the modern history of the state. We're putting things in the school districts like financial literacy, more civics education, more opportunities for workforce education. We're now doing things to try to recruit more teachers, uh, people who are veterans or in law enforcement, all these other things. So we put a huge emphasis on our traditional school districts. So we're doing school choice in addition to not in lieu of that. Well, Governor, I got to leave it there. They're telling me the computer's about to cut us off. I sure appreciate you taking some time. I really do. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks very much. Governor Ron DeSantis.